This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11, and we will begin reading in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Would you please pray with me? Father, you are a great and awesome God. As we just sang in that psalm, you are sovereign over everything, from the greatest things that are terrifying, from the the strikes of lightning and the the roll of thunder, even down to the, the deer who gives birth, to the minutest details of this earth. You are in control over all of it. And it's when we stop and and take a moment to remember that, that if you are sovereign over all of those things. You're sovereign indeed over us, over our lives, and all the things that we face, and all the things that we walk through. You know us. You love us. Your scripture tells us that you know when a sparrow falls to the earth. You know the number of the hairs on our head. You know us intimately and closely and care for us more than we could possibly imagine. And it's because of that that you sent your son to die for us, because of that that you have brought us into your family and it's because of that that we can come before your throne boldly knowing that you hear us and that you care for us so lord we pray that you would draw us near to you this morning pray that you would uh, reveal your word to us that you would help us to understand the things that you want us to do the ways that you are shaping us and changing us help us to understand more who you are and all that you've done for us, and all that you're doing for us day by day. Lord, help us this morning and in the days that come after this to be continually coming to you in prayer, continually bringing our needs and our petitions and our cares to you. Help us to rely more fully on you every day and stop trying to work things out in our own power or figure things out on our own all the time. So, Lord, we bring to you all those people who are suffering with illness. We bring to you people who are suffering with with sadness and discouragement. We bring to you those who are suffering with 
the, the fight, the war against sin and our own flesh. Lord, in every one of these circumstances, we desperately need you. We need you to help us. We need you to heal us. We need you to forgive us and to guide us. So we ask that you would do those things, that you would help us in every day of our lives to glorify you, help us to enjoy you, help us to love you more. Lord, I pray that as Pastor Ian preaches here in just a moment, that, that through what he preaches, through his, his uh, looking at the word together with us, that we truly would love you more, that we would see more clearly who you are, and that in response we would worship you, that we would praise you with all of our lives and all of our being. God, I pray that you would be with Pastor Ian as he preaches. I pray that his words would be those that you have set for him to say, and I pray that uh, that your Holy Spirit would apply those words to our heart. God, would you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, in 1873, Mark Twain, you know that name, he published with a friend of his a novel, not his most famous novel, it was a stinging critique of the generation in which Mark Twain lived. That generation that had an appearance of wonderful, magnificent prosperity. People like Carnegie and Vanderbilt and J.P. Morgan come to mind. A wonderful time of technological advancement. This is the age of the telegraph and railroads all over the place and electrical inno innovations. A generation that had a bright future outpacing all other nations on the planet. And yet for all of this prosperity and advancement, this was just a thin veneer. It could have been a golden age, but actually it was just a Gilded Age, as Mark Twain entitled his novel. And all of these things were simply a facade underneath which was corruption, inequality, poverty, injustice, all kinds of incredible dark problems which could not be solved without a, a complete renovation and transformation of American society. Mark Twain knew it. Many of the people who lived in his generation knew it as well. Well, Jesus could have well said the very same thing about his own generation. He called it this generation, which was more concerned with external spirituality, a show of religiosity, rather than a true renovation of their lives that just beneath all of the appearance of the religious machine of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees who were supposed to lead the people to really know and engage in their loving God. But they were the worst offenders because their spirituality was right there on the surface. They were more concerned about what people thought of them than what God thought of them. And as a consequence of that, Jesus called this generation evil 
and in another gospel, an adulterous generation. Well, we've already seen that Jesus had little patience for this kind of thing. He could see through the external religion. He knows when people are just putting on a show, when they are ignoring a true spiritual transformation and putting on an artificial, shallow patina on their lives. And this same, same generation went so far as to test Jesus with regard to his own sincerity and his own genuineness and they cried out for more signs from him. But after all, what's so wrong about wanting a confirming sign? Wouldn't that get their attention? Wouldn't that turn them around? Well, actually just the opposite. Their desire for a sign from heaven is simply evidence of an evil, unbelieving heart. Since they already had multiple signs that would steer them and direct them to the Savior. What more could they genuinely ask for? And as a result of that, Jesus says, this generation is not going to get another sign. No no sign will be given to this generation, oh, except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah, we learn in Matthew chapter 12, was the recognition that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three, three nights, taken for dead, that same man came forth. And you remember the story. He went to Nineveh, finally in obedience to God, and presented, them, presented himself to them. And they knew that a great miracle had taken place. And Jonah's survival was a sign to them. Jesus goes on to say in his indictment of these people that the Ninevites saw this miracle. They responded to Jonah's message. They repented. And at the end of the age, that generation will rise up and condemn the generation in which Jesus lived. You might think, well, but after Jesus rose from the dead, wasn't that a convincing sign? Didn't that turn the religious leaders around? Didn't that make them say, oh, we we were wrong. We just didn't realize that this truly was the Messiah. But now he's risen from the dead. He's proven who he is. We can't deny it. Well, I would have thought that that would be their response, but the book of Acts tells us absolutely not. Their commitment not to follow the Messiah was validated and verified in the face of all of the signs and wonders that they saw. Jesus uses another illustration from the Old Testament, this one a little more obscure. He talks about the story of the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, coming to visit Solomon. This story is found in 1 Kings chapter 10. You can read it for yourself. And uh, she came. She didn't believe that, that Solomon was as wise and great a man as he was. She had to see for herself. 
So she came and she listened and she gave him all kinds of questions. And every question she had, Solomon was able to answer. And she came to the con conviction, this really is a wise man. This man is really the king that the real God has put on the throne. She said, your God has loved Israel and established that kingdom forever, and he has set you on the throne. The queen of Sheba, Jesus says, is going to rise again at the end of the age, and, and she will condemn Jesus' generation. Both of these people will rise and say, what's wrong with you people? You're supposed to be the people of God. You wanted signs and wonders. Even we as Gentiles could understand that God was on the throne, that he was making all of these things possible. God, your God, gave you every opportunity and chance that you needed. But your heart was cold. You had a religious and spiritual patina on the outside. But right beneath the right beneath the surface, right beneath that shell, your heart was cold, you were evil, you rebelled against your God. These people will rise up in that generation and say, What is wrong with you people? He is your God. Even we had enough sense to realize. And we're pagan people, we're Ninevites the Queen of Sheba. Even we could see that your God is a great God. There is that awful tendency that we have to put on a good face before those that watch us to observe our lives in the hopes that they will feel good about us and lift us up failing to understand that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what matters this morning is that you and I have trans been transformed by the goodness and the grace of God and changed deep down inside. Now please understand, and as I thought about this, I said to myself, I, I don't want to paint a picture like it's, it's more glorious than it, than it needs to be. We all put on a front. That's only natural. We do want people to think well of us. And there's really nothing wrong with doing our best and trying to present ourselves before those that are watching our lives to see that we are in fact genuine. We are told in many times in Scripture uh, to make sure that we are loving one another, we are kind, we are generous. Sometimes we have to look deep within ourselves to bring out the best and to draw upon the power that the Holy Spirit offers. And sometimes, sometimes it is just out there on the surface there's nothing wrong with that. 
as long as you can also say, but deep down inside, these things that people are seeing in me are a product and a result that my life has been changed. I am not perfect. I am not as holy and spiritual and good as, as I, I like to pretend. And if people could really examine me deep down, they would see some, some flaws. But I am reflecting the glory of God in my life. And we need to be able to look deep down inside and be able to say, yes, I, I have been changed. So what makes the difference between this evil generation that is only concerned about appearance and, on the other hand, the individual who truly has been changed and transformed by the gospel? How can you be sure that God is getting beneath that outer shell? After all, Jesus said in, in this, in this uh, story that something greater than Solomon is here, something greater than Jonah is here. Those are wonderful examples, but it is a serious matter that if we miss the point that our spirituality must be greater than what is just skin deep that our lives need to be changed and transformed if we miss that we are missing the whole point of the gospel and so Jesus launches into a a simple analogy a simple little illustration that helps the people who are listening to him to get the point the relationship between the first paragraph that we've already talked about in this paragraph is sometimes hard to put together. There isn't a natural flow. But one of the things that is different between those two paragraphs is that that first paragraph is talking about an evil generation looking holistically at people. But everything that Jesus is about, about to say now, he, he talks about you individually, singularly. How will you respond to the good news of the gospel? How will you light your, your, make your light shine? And now he has moved from the general to the particular. You and I live in an evil generation as well. People all around us are far from God. We could easily use that as an excuse and say, well, you know, it's a tough world in which we live, and as long as we're a little better than they are, I guess it's okay. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, no, that is not enough. Your life has to be changed and transformed. And so Jesus launches into this simple little illustration that will hopefully help us to understand individually, one person at a time, how this can be true for us. He says in verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it on puts it in the cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light well obviously that's the purpose of a lamp it is to give light to people when they come into the room so they will see it by the way Jesus uses the same analogy in the sermon on the mount and he he ends that discussion by saying 
Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When I was a little boy the, in the little Baptist church where I grew up, we used to sing a song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Put it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. We used to sing that all the time, even when we were too old to sing it. We loved it. And yet, when you think about that little song, all kinds of people will use that song as an anthem for their cause, which has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with the gospel. Even the average person on the street who knows nothing about faith in Christ knows that little song. How can I be sure that my light is his light? How can the expression of Jesus in John 8 when he said, I am the light of the world, how does that square with what he said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you are the light of the world. Well, which is it? And the answer is, the light of the world is Jesus. And as his light shines upon us, we take on his light and consequently become the light of the world. How does the lamp get lit in the first place that he talks about in verse 33. Well, he continues his little story. He says in verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. In that simple verse, verse 34, he begins to describe to us the problem that you and I have. As we are blinded by Satan, as we have unhealthy eyes, we cannot see the glory of God. We cannot see this light that is shining upon us, but God opens our eyes and he takes our blind, unhealthy, bad eyes and he heals them so that the light that shines upon us can be received. If your eye is unhealthy and blind, then your whole body is going to be messed up. But if your eye is healthy and whole and you can receive the light that's shining upon you, then everything on the inside begins to be changed. That simple little analogy explains so much. Because in the evil generation that Jesus is talking to, he is saying their eye is evil. Their eyes are blind and unhealthy. Those eyes need to be healed. It should not surprise us at all that one of the things Messiah did was to heal blind eyes, both physically and spiritually. In Matthew chapter 13, 
Jesus said to the disciples when they asked the question, how come you, you teach in parables? It seems to us as if you are veiling the good news to people who are cold and resistant, but we have understood what you say. And Jesus said to them, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. You may remember last week when Jesus was talking about the woman who cried out from, from the crowd. He used that very line, that people who have eyes to see and ears to hear are blessed. This is one of the deep secrets of the Christian life that you and I are not in a position to receive the light that comes from the glory of Christ unless God does a miracle. And he opens our eyes. He opens our ears. We see, we understand, we're able to absorb it. And as a consequence of that, the light comes in and we become changed people. Once that spiritual vision has been repaired, the light of Christ can sink in deeply and illuminate our whole lives. And things begin to change. In an instant, we begin to realize, I'm a sinner. I fall short of God's glory. I don't measure up. I need to be forgiven. I need to reach out to a redeemer. And we understand what it means to accept and receive Christ as our Savior. We understand that he died for our sins and that a light goes on. That light goes on deep inside. He's the Savior. God loves me. He wants me to be forgiven. We reach out to the Savior and our eyes are made whole and we begin to, can begin to see. And then as he continues to shine on us, he shows us those areas in our lives when we need to be kind of repaired and fixed, that things need to be changed. And he, he gives us the ability to make those changes by his grace and only by his grace. And as a consequence of that, the light shines more and more. And as it does so, it goes deep inside and changes us from within and that's why he can say, once that begins to happen, your whole person, your whole body begins to be illuminated. Oh, there's a sense in which, and there are many passages in Scripture that talk about the fact that we reflect the light of God. But in this passage, that reflection is internalized and it shines from within. It's not our light. We don't manufacture this. We don't fake it. We don't whoop it up. We allow his light to shine upon us because our eyes have been made whole, because our, our ears have been changed, and we become new people in Christ. And once that miracle of transformation has taken place, then little by little, things begin to really change. If you wanted to 
explore this, this analogy further. If we have took the time this morning, which I won't do, but I'll point you to a passage. The Apostle Paul talks about this very thing in 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4. I wish it was all in one chapter, but it's half of one and half of another. 2 Corinthians, end of 3, beginning of 4. When he says, remember the story of Moses? How he would go up to the mountain and he would see God face to face and God would shine on him and Moses would come down from the mountain and his face was glowing. And the problem was once he came down, little by little, that, that glow would disappear. That glow would kind of fade and he'd put a veil on his face. And then when he went back before God, he'd take the veil off and get the glow again. And then he'd come back and the people say, look at there, he's glowing again. But then it would fade. So he'd put a veil on his face again. The Apostle Paul says, well, that's what happens for you and me, except the difference is we stand before a God who shines upon us and we stand with unveiled faces. And he says in the next verse, and we are transformed by that light. Not merely is it reflecting off, off of us, but we're transformed from the inside out. You and I are not perfect people. You know that, I know it. There's an awful lot going on deep inside that we wouldn't want people to know about. And there are many ways that we kind of hide that and put a, put a patina on our lives and hope that people don't see too deeply. But this passage is about what's really going on deep inside. Have you, in fact, been transformed by the light of Christ? Can you honestly say, I am the person I am today because God opened my eyes and he opened my ears and he began to do a transforming work in my life. It's not perfect yet. I'm not going to be like I should be until I see the Savior face to face. That day is a long way off. Meanwhile, I see and I feel and I experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in my life as he shines upon me. And it's not fake. It's not an illusion. It's not just an outer shell. It's not just put on. It's going on deep inside of me. And I know it, and I feel it, and the people around me see it. And they say, this person is a changed person because they know the power of the gospel. That's why in the last couple of verses, 35 and 36, he says, so you be very careful that the light inside of you is not your own light. If it is, it's darkness. You make sure that the light that is within you is the light of Christ, that he has entered you, and that the whole body is full of light, and it has no dark part. Now, that's waiting for the future, but honestly, can you say that light has shined in my life and I am a different and a new person? And if that's the case, your light will shine. People will know it. You'll be able to 
obey the Lord's command. Let your light so shine, the light that has been given you by the one who said, I am the light of the world, the light that is within you will shine forth to the glory of God. Shall we pray? Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to know that you love us this much. We know deep down inside we are we are just uh, consumed by sin and by going astray. Jesus was absolutely right. This, this world in which we live is a, an evil and adulterous generation, but when we think of ourselves, we know that there, that's going on deep down inside us too. But Father, thank you for your grace. As you have shined your light upon us, as you have healed our eyes so that we can see things as you see them, we've received and, and, and allowed that light to become powerful in our lives day by day. Thank you, Lord, that each day we can live and walk, as Jesus said, walk in the light. And when we do that, we become more and more like the Savior. Father, it is so simple, and yet it takes our awareness and our deep commitment to be the people you have called us to be. May your light so shine upon us that that will happen more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.